what kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? How many kids do a classroom? Homes.com knows these are all things you ask when you're home shopping as a parent. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, test scores, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by Homes.com's dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hi everyone, Sophia Bush here. Welcome to Work in Progress, where I talk to people who inspire me about how they got to where they are and where they think they're still going. I am so excited to welcome all of you to a conversation with an incredible business and environmental pioneer, Tata Harper. She is a rule breaker in natural luxury skincare. And while I know that some of you may be thinking, oh, it's natural, so it means it's technically better for me, but it won't actually do anything. Nope, I'm here to promise you that this is actually what sets Tata's products apart from all the other quote unquote natural ones. I'm so fascinated with her because her story is incredible. She did something that I think so many of us dream about. She identified something that she wanted, something she was looking for but couldn't find, a healthy beauty care solution that did not include any toxic ingredients. So she set out to develop something all by herself. She learned the chemistry involved in making beauty care products. And by combining scientific testing with 100% natural ingredients, She ultimately created a line of products that includes cleansers, serums, moisturizers, face oils, cosmetics, and more that are more effective than big brand name products. Now, I know this sounds like an advertisement, but I promise I'm not getting paid to talk about her products. I just am truly such a fan of a woman who made a determination as a citizen a businesswoman, and a founder, and said, yeah, chemistry, I can figure that out. I mean, come on, she's a rock star. Tata is also a two-time Allure Best of Beauty winner in 2014 and 2016, O Magazine Fall Beauty O Award winner in 2017, was on the Nylon Beauty Hit List and the Glam Top 100 Beauty List in 2015, and the list goes on. She's been featured in Forbes, BuzzFeed, Vogue, Women's Health, GQ, Goop Health, 
and more and more and more. She's just truly incredible. We sat down to talk about her childhood in Colombia, how she became interested in the beauty industry, the very surprising things she found that exist in the products we use on our skin every day. Hint, a lot of it should be in cars, not on our bodies. And so many more of the fascinating discoveries she made along the way. I can't wait for her to inspire all of you as much as she has inspired me to be the solution to the problems I find in the world around me. I hope she does the same for you. Enjoy. I'm so excited to have you on today. I'm, I'm such a longtime fan of yours and what you do and, and the way that you are encouraging these conversations about wellness and skin and, and really, I think, educating people on why that's important. And, and so I'm, I'm very excited to be able to do that today with you. Awesome. This is my 10 year anniversary. 10th year. Oh, happy anniversary. It's in the fall, but it's our 10th year. So it's pretty, uh, I mean, we had so many plans for a 10 year anniversary, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's been 10 years. And then before that five years, just building the, you know, just starting out just because everything was so hard and it took so long when you're trying to do something different and new and not just like mm-hmm. disruptive marketing, but like the product is disruptive and totally different. It just takes a long, long time because, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can't really rely on a lot of experts because they can tell you the things that they were, how they've been done now, right? They're experts right. in the way the practices of today. But if a lot of those best practices don't apply to what you want to do, there's tons of conflict and tons of challenges. Hmm. So it's a really long time to figure all that out and be like, oh, how do I stay true to my vision and to keep things the way that I envisioned? It must be such an interesting time to be able to look back because I feel like at a 10-year sort of milestone, it's, it's an exciting moment to take stock of how far you've come. And I imagine... Uh, despite the disruption of the current climate and, and what's happening in the world, that you get to look at what you've built in a way that must be special. Yeah, it definitely gives you a lot of perspective because sometimes when you're like in the day today, you're just thinking, you know, ahead, back, ahead, but like you never really get a chance to really be like, oh, this is how much we've accomplished. You know, like I never really have like those moments that you just stop look in hindsight, like, oh, okay. I had no idea about the beauty and I have no idea. Like I'm not a chemist. I just really was someone that wanted to make this happen so that people had alternatives. And I just basically used a lot of my skills to create that and put people together to help me. But as you're doing it, you rarely pause and just really like think back and be like, oh, you know, like, wow, we've gone so far. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because you're always looking forward. Always looking forward and you're never slowing down. And honestly, like you don't have a lot of time to think. You're just like thinking and processing. Like a lot of that happens like maybe when you're showering or when you're taking a bath or when you're running. (laughs) You're like, wait, what did she say again? I don't know. But, you know, um, 
But yeah, when I started the business, I had like no business plan. I had no idea like how big, how small the company was going to be. I was just like, I can't be the only woman that it's looking for this. Like, you know, that I don't want to, that want real science because that's the only reason why you buy skincare. And yes, you need algaes and you need orchids and you need a lot of amazing things, but you don't need them mixed with a lot of like heavy duty industrial chemicals that really have no business in your eye cream. You know, like you in your eye cream, you don't need so much petroleum. You don't need so much like propylene glycol. It's like antifreeze. Like, why is that in my eye cream? Why is that in the serum that I'm using every day? Like, you know, you start questioning just a lot of like what you want to use. And, uh, and it's just really for me, a matter of quality more than anything, you know, it's like, is that the quality of raw materials that I want to be to for my skin to make it more beautiful, to make it more healthy, to make it more glowy. And, uh, maybe that's like my engineering side. I don't know. It's like, I can't believe that all of these materials are like what's inundated, you know, uh, a lot of consumer products. And, and a lot of people are not expecting that, even though they're not, they can't really know what propylene glycol is. They don't, they could never imagine that that's antifreeze. Like, why would you, right? Well, you would just never expect antifreeze to be allowed yeah. in a product that would go on your body. That That's part of what fascinates me about all of this is I think it's so easy for us to assume that someone is making sure, some regulatory body somewhere is making sure that toxic chemicals aren't allowed into skincare or food or, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And yet toxic chemicals are in all of the things that we put in and on our bodies. So unfortunately it's on us as a consumer, as consumers to look out for those things. And I'm so curious about how that journey began. Like my journey? Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about how the journey began for you. But before we get into the last 10 years and skincare, I, I do always love to go a bit further back with my guests. You know, you mentioned your engineering background and you mentioned that you're from Colombia. I, I would love to know where your story begins. So what you were curious about as a kid, what your childhood was like in Colombia, you know, uh, what what was happening in your life when you were maybe eight or 10 years old? So basically, I um, grew up in the coast of Colombia in a town called Barranquilla. It's like a, like a New Orleans sort of place, industrial, but also, um, you know, it's in the beach. So it's like the mm. of like Latin culture, like people are like happy and everybody dances all the time. There's always music, there's parties. And the town is relatively small and it's very um, segregated. Like it's very tribal, like LA, <laughs> actually. And uh, I grew up in a family where uh, my parents were divorced and my mom was a working mother. And she was like one of the first women to go to college Colombia. She also um, was one of the first people in the family to get divorced, which was extremely shocking for <laughs> everybody. Uh, she started her own company. She remarried. So I grew up, uh, you know, with already like a working mother. 
And, uh, and, and I was very close to her family. Like I grew up like being extremely close. She has like a really large family and we were all close. We're a total of like 32 cousins and, uh, and my grandparents wow. were the center of like our life. And the women in my family were extremely, um, focused on beauty. Like beauty was not seen as a chore or an obligation, but something that everybody enjoys doing. It was very social. And I was always fascinated with everything that they were doing around their masks, their hair, their creams, like uh, all the, all the stuff that they, that they were all constantly doing. And my grandmother loved to host like a spa party in her house every, almost every weekend with, for a lot of my aunts and my cousins. And her favorite granddaughter. So I would wake up with her like really early and we would make all sorts of like concoctions and, and stuff for when the guest arrived. (laughs) And, uh, I grew up, um, you know, it also like I went to an American school in Colombia. So I like, I was very close to the American culture too, through my school and, uh, and it was, you know, like a very idyllic sort of like childhood, you know, it's very, it was very nice, very protected, uh, very happy in a very close community. I traveled about and I lived in Paris. I lived in Canada. I lived in Mexico. Uh, I studied industrial engineering, which has nothing to do with what I was doing now. And then I fell in love with my ex-husband and I moved to Miami. And I lived in Miami for like seven years. I was like my first spot here in the U.S. And I was, we were pretty much doing real estate development. Like we were building buildings in downtown Miami. He's from New York. So he wanted to like bring the loft concept to Miami. And for the first time started building around the downtown, which was like complete urban pioneering. Performing Arts Center was just really beginning. And then there was Craig Robbins doing like the design district. And we were like in between the Performing Arts Center, like that whole Midtown area. And then while I was doing that, my stepfather gets diagnosed with cancer. And because uh, I was living in Miami and he got treated in the U.S., I ended up just uh, going with him to a lot of doctors and a lot of clinics and a lot of uh, just places that, to tr- that treated him. And that's when I started learning about the toxic load, the ingredients, how much lifestyle plays into your health and your well-being. Like before, I thought that a lot of like going organic, going natural, doing all of that was more for the environment, which I am a huge environmentalist and I love the environment, but I never thought that I had to like change my moisturizer, you know? And then all of a sudden I'm there and they're talking about all these things and I'm like, whoa. I want to implement those things for myself too. Like, I don't want to be surrounded by all these chemicals that I didn't realize that there was really no one looking after a lot of the consumer products or even like supplements out there and like what's allowed and what's not allowed. And I just went into this rabbit hole. It got to the point where, you know, I wanted to switch to naturals. Like I had changed a lot of things, but I couldn't, I didn't change my like Swiss skincare line. Um, and I left that as like the final frontier. And then I found things that, yeah, they were natural, but they were super simple, you know, and I'm not like a simple skincare customer necessarily. Like I'm not a minimalist in beauty. At all. <laughs> Anything, I am a maximalist when it comes to beauty. And, uh, and then when I would go and find things that had all the technology and all the things that I was excited about because that's the only reason why you buy skincare 
uh, because you need to get results. Then they had all this industrial, yes. like, they would, I would be like, guys, I want to do the natural thing. What do you have? And they would show you this that has algaes or that that has orchids or this that has roses or, but then you turn around the box and you're like, sure, this has roses, but it also has like 50 industrial chemicals that I don't want to be putting on my skin every day. And yes. a lot of those industrial chemicals are not necessarily the things that are giving you the results. Contrary to what we've been hearing, when you Google what a lot of those formulas, they were more functionals. They were more like thickeners, emulsifiers, pH balancers, preservatives, you know, like things that are needed to make the formula work, not things that are needed to mm-hmm. skin better. A lot of like what revolve around making your skin better were the algaes and the roses and everything else. But those natural raw materials get mixed with a lot of like synthetic industrial chemicals just to create consistencies and pH and things like that. Mm. So I became really fascinated with this idea of like, how can we rethink all of this formulation process where we can really make a formula from the ground up to be 100% natural? Because, you know, in the beauty industry, I don't know if you're aware, but the norm is to outsource a lot that has to do with products. Like you outsource the formulations to labs that already have like bases. And then depending on like where you're from, they or whatever your marketing story is, they would add like one or two materials or they would change the color, change the smell. And then it's like the same base that it's like, in like 50 different brands, you know? And a lot of those labs felt that what I wanted to do was impossible. Like that would imagine they're used to making formulas like in months, this would take years of development. They thought that it was totally impossible, not doable. I was crazy. Who do you think you are? No one has been able to do that. You know, all sorts of excuses to really what I got to the point is like chemists are just not, not they, you know, like anybody else, they don't like anything new, right? Like why? If it's not broken, why? And for me, it was broken because I wanted to find something that was just not available. So I had to meet and really work very closely with a total of like eight different chemists Wow, that helped me throughout five years to develop the know-how of how to make a hundred percent natural products that actually worked. Um, and that include global technology, but that also a lot of like the inter- like the functional ingredients in the formula are also coming from nature. So it's like, okay, instead right. of like parabens and phenoxyethanol, that it's a synthetic preservative, I am going to use like this radish root technology that comes from Germany and I'm going to mm. make another, you know, a, a ferment that comes from Brazil and mm. then... And then you achieve similar to what the results that you get through a lot of the synthetic things. So it was a lot of like re-engineering formulation Mm. and that took a really, really long time and to make formulas that are really unique, right? So that's Mm. the same base with just one or two different ingredients, but your customers, a unique formula that it's different than everything else that it's out there. And for us, that meant not only the fact that it was totally pure, but also I wanted to add a lot of technology into our products. Like I didn't want it to be just about one ingredient and that's it. Like vitamin C or, you know, this rare melon from Africa or whatever. I wanted to be 
about all of those things. Well, you, you're, you want it to be comprehensive. But what strikes me as amazing about this is the sort of the ingenuity, the determination. And, and I wonder, I, I know the inspiration comes from this story you tell us about your childhood and the way that like your grandmother and the women and the family, that, that beauty was social, which I actually think is so cool to think about Mm-hmm. like a spa party to think about making masks. Someone just told me the other day, something like you can make a mask with honey and all these things for your skin. And I was like, I don't know how to do any of that. Spoon of honey and a spoon of like yogurt, for example, that's oh. like a, one of my favorite DIY masks. Oh, And you just mix them and you just put it on. There's nothing else to do. Well, that's amazing. But I, mm. I guess I wonder, you know, when you talk about formulation, chemistry, were you... Mm-hmm. Were you into science when you were a kid? Were you into math? What, how, did, how did your sort of academic interests lead you to be an engineer? Because obviously, as you mentioned, you use so much of your engineering now. So, so where does that all connect from the little girl making masks with her grandma to, to all of this <laughs> science? Totally. I mean, I've always been very curious, but when I was a a child, I thought that I was going to be either an interior decorator or a fashion designer. But my mm-hmm. mom was against all of those dreams. And, you know, she was like, no, I don't know. Like, that seems like very narrow, you know, mm. like you're no one thing, like fashion designer. Interesting. And when I was young, like when I was in school, I had a fashion line with a friend of mine where we were in the last three years of my high school. I had a fashion line. So my mom was like, you already like design, like, you know, like you're always, you're going to Miami, you get your fabrics, you know how to do it. You produce it. Like, you know, like you, you have good style. Like that's, you don't learn that in school. And she's like, no, I, if I, if you're going to go abroad and you want to study and I'm going to invest in your education, like you need to learn something that it's more like, it gives you more wings. She's like, like well, engineer, like she just like brought that up. I don't know from where, And she's like, yeah, if you want to go abroad, like go and check out industrial engineering. That was her idea. We were dying to go abroad. We had to study industrial engineering. And I thought that I was going to hate it. I was going to be like, oh my God, this is like going to totally suck. Like, but I'll give it a try. And then I'll be, you know, be out of the house. And then eventually I have to like move to something that it's more feasible. But I ended up loving industrial engineering very interesting, uh, very interesting career. It's very, uh, it's a very interesting, um, it, it's, it's all about like times and methods and the most efficient ways to do things. Uh, it's very industrial about like how to processes, methods, times, that sort of thing. And, and I loved it. And I actually, during like my high school, I was like a very mediocre student. Like I was always like, B plus, yay, B plus. <laughs> and my sister was like honor roll society, you know, like <laughs> triple A student. And when I started studying engineering, I became like such an amazing student just because I loved it. But I never thought that I would become um, an industrial engineer. And I actually hated chemistry in school. Um, it just really happened because I became 
I don't know how or why I just became really compelled. You know, those things that you just can't explain that you go into a bubble and you do things and you're like, I'm not going to stop until this is done. And like, it's this intellectual sort of challenge that you have on yourself that you need to figure this out. Not only because you want to start a company, but because you're intellectually challenged, Mm -hmm. especially after you realize how rare it is and that no one has actually tried to do it successfully. Um, And I just went into like a, like a ton, like tunnel vision. I had no idea how big the company was going to be. I didn't have like a big business plan, you know, like we're going to dominate the world. Like it was never about that. It was just really about having options, Mm -hmm. being able to prove that you can make it happen. And I thought that, I mean, all I knew is that I wouldn't be the only woman that it's looking for this. Like there would be a lot of people that are, that this is a priority for them because their interpretation of the wellness movement, it's, 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 it's the highest form of that interpretation, right? Because everybody has like different parameters for wellness for some people that a product is clean is enough, right? Like this, like, Oh, I just want it to be clean. I just want it to not have like parabens or not have SLS or right. Clean is just about avoiding a couple of controversial chemicals. Uh, But, clean is not a hundred percent natural. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a whole world of the whole universe that differs between having a clean product and having an a hundred percent natural formula. It's completely synthetic free. Um, and I don't know, I, I, it, I just, um, also happened to be at that point of my life that I had moved from New York to my farm and this was an old dairy farm and had a lot of barns and buildings. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have the company based here too, you know, mm. in my farm. Up in, also, in Vermont. Yeah, in Vermont, because we also grow some of the ingredients here in the farm. And I'm like, wouldn't it be nice to also produce the products here? Well, it happens to be that a lot of the production of skincare, it's also not typically produced by the companies. It's also another thing that many, many brands outsource. So again, other labs produce the creams. Then they take the cream, they fill the bottle, they package the products. And a lot of companies even like rely on distributors to even like manage a lot of the sales of the Mm. company. So I was like, wait, so if someone else is doing this for me, Mm. what am I, you know, like I have like an ad and marketing agency. Like I want to have a real skincare company. Like I want to be able to produce products and I was uh, talking, um, we were talking earlier about how for a lot of my customers, like I'm sure they don't care who, if we outsource a lot of things, right? Like I can outsource like even the production of my content, I can outsource the accounting, I can outsource legal, but they will care if I outsource the making of our formulas, you know, like Mm -hmm. make our products. Like that's the most important thing that I do, I, I think, you know, it's like as a, as a, as a producer of products to be able to know how to make it and to be able to make it is critical. It was critical for me. So I also envisioned like, well, maybe I can have like my Tata Harper factories here at the farm and I'm able to do that. And that was also very challenging because again, it's not the way that the business operates. So it took a lot of know-how building the factory, you know, how to make the products. Mm-hmm. But then I think it's like the best decisions. I know that they were hard and that they were complicated and it's not necessarily about like something being better than other is that this is what I wanted. You know, I was a skincare customer before. 
I really thought as a, as a consumer that all of these products that I was buying, they were coming from these brands in Switzerland and they were made in like the Alps, you know, like you get all these fantasies, right? As a customer of like what you're buying. And I wanted to keep that fantasy alive. Like when I realized that, yeah, you can outsource and yes, that's very convenient. Uh, and I don't have to deal with that. I was like, wait, but why would I want to do that? And then I don't control the sourcing of the ingredients that I want to buy. So I don't know exactly what quality they're buying. Yeah, I now need to produce based on the minimums of this third party that has its own interest, not necessarily the ones that I'm looking at, which is I just need 2000 serums and I need a thousand of this cleanser and I need 3000 of that. I don't need 20,000 tomorrow. Because then what happens is that you end up storing so much right? Mm -hmm. And then by the time that all that store product actually gets to stores, through the distribution channels, to your clients, that product is older. You know, it's not super fresh. It's not super fresh. So I also was envisioning and dreaming about this brand that also produced their products like food, like a food company that Mm -hmm. we're basically the products every month so that we make exactly what we need. We reduce the amount of waste and also we are able to give products to our customers that are super fresh and that's when they're going to be the most potent, right? Within the first like year and that you're not going to get it like a 10 month old and it's new for you, but it's been made almost a year ago, you yeah. know? So it strikes me that so much of what you're talking about, you know, production, efficacy, freshness, uh, where things are produced, how things are sourced, how they're made, you know, that that all feels like all of your engineering skills like plugging into this so well and and I know that you know going from engineering in in real estate development into this is would seem like a big swing but it's it seems to make sense to me but I'm curious what what really was the light bulb moment what was the what was the thing that made you want to make that big of a shift because I've, I've read, um, about how you, you really got obsessed with truly clean, you know, natural beauty after your stepfather was diagnosed with skin cancer, which was back in 2005. So would, would you say that's accurate? Was that really the shift that, that made you uh, turn all of that this way or, or was it other, other things that had been boiling up as well? No, well, him through him, I gain the knowledge, right? Of like, mm-hmm. hey, this is it. You know, like I know that it's not in. Uh, it's you know, it's not, not everybody knows about the toxic load and really understands the connection between your lifestyle and your health. Was that but, something that your stepfather's doctors highlighted in his diagnoses process? Did, did they talk to you mm-hmm. about toxic ingredients in skincare? Yeah, not only toxic ingredients, uh, food, is he exercising, what, dry cleaning and how it has like all these bad chemicals. Uh, they weren't like skincare. They were like the things that he uses every day, which is the only thing that matters. His deodorant, his shampoo, his lotion, his, you know, like very broad. But then in my mind, I was like, oh my God, like for me, it's a beauty closet, you know, like I have so many I have hair, this, that, the, you know, skin, body, like, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a closet of products, like a, a, wow, an atomic bomb might go off in there. And then 
really the moment, like I thought that I was going to be able to find the product. Obviously I was like, you know, I just need to look for it really well. It's somewhere. It must exist. Mm, I see. Now that it didn't exist. And I found myself in like parties telling friends about, be careful about hydroquinone and, you know, all of these things. They were like, but where are we going to find this stuff? Like, stop. Like, stop. Like, where, where, where are you finding things? And the reality is that I was really struggling. I didn't, I didn't know how to change my Swiss skincare line for anything that I had found. Because it's like, things were that were natural. Like, yeah, they were natural, but there was like three ingredients or something like very simple. Mm. And I was never really going to leave my like other eye cream for that, you know, or the, my other serum for that. And I started experimenting more with like shampoo, body wash, deodorants, but never really like my serious skincare. If I, why change it to other things that had natural botanicals in them, if still they were going to have the same chemicals that I was wanting to avoid from the line that I was using anyway. So it was kind of like pointless. So I took it from the sense that I don't know what to do. I don't know what to use anymore. I am going to try to figure this out. I don't know where that came from, honestly, to, to be in all reality. Like people ask me this all the time. I have no idea why I became so obsessed with solving this. And I, I, it's, 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 I've been like in a big roller coaster and it's been now to like look back and be like, why did I exactly started this? But at the moment, it was like the most important thing for me is to be able to start this. Uh, and then once I realized that there was nothing like it, I just became like even more excited to be mm. able for the first time to show that you can do something and that there are alternatives, right? Because right. it's 50 years of marketing, just like one point of view that synthetics are the only thing that works, that synthetics are the only way to make products that, you know, like there's only been like 50 years of brainwashing on like one direction. And then the natural direction has been more about products that have been developed with this mindset of like, let's make products that are natural, not let's make products that work and are natural. It's more about like, we live in this natural lifestyle. We just want things that are, you know, have hemp or have this or have calendula or have, you know, things that are like really nice. We use a lot of those raw materials, but you, but when you're developing skincare, which is very scientific and very targeted it's not like, that's not appealing. Like that's not the way to develop that. Like that's not really an, an alternative for you. Well, you know? and, and for me as a consumer, I'm frustrated by the idea that I can either have something that's toxic and quote unquote works or something that's natural and quote unquote doesn't really. I want something that is healthy for my body you know, I think people forget that our skin is actually our largest organ. You know, we're treating, it's the only organ we have that interacts with the world every day in in true contact. And so Mm -hmm. to think about what we put on it and how it affects all the rest of our organs and our systems feels important. And you know, I want to take care of my skin. I want, I want my skin. I mean, I'm sitting here on a zoom staring at your face and you have the most same glow I've ever seen. I'm like, I want my skin to look like your skin and also be healthy. <laughs> but I, I'm curious, you know, when we talk about the, the stuff that was so shocking to discover, you know, uh, about 
what, to your point, we've been brainwashed into thinking we need for 50 years by these ad agencies, which by the way, have largely been run by men who tell women that they need to use these products that they don't use. I'm like, this feels wrong. Um, oh, no, when we got we're, the time, they may have not known, right? Like who knows? It's sure. like, grow and we learn, we grow and we learn. And, and we should be innovating. Legal, you know, it's allowed, it's legal. Mm-hmm. They're not doing anything wrong. I'm just talking from the perspective of someone that it's really discerning with quality and that it's really yeah. like the top priority. Maybe those decisions are questionable, but they're not, yeah. they're wrong with them. They're legal. You can do them. <laughs> you know, they're <laughs> um, just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. What when you, when you look at that sort of swath of things, can you tell some of the listeners, because you obviously have such an expertise in this, looking at ingredients that are allowed to be used in the beauty industry, what are a, a couple of the ingredients that are the most shocking to you that, that many of us probably don't know are in personal care products? Um, whoa, so many. Like nail polish remover. It's in mm-hmm. a lot of products. Um, battery acid, it's a emulsifier used, uh, a lot of derivatives from petroleum, lots of derivatives from petroleum. Wait, hold on. I have questions. Battery, why would battery acid be used as an emulsifier? What does that mean in beauty? Like what, what is an emulsifier doing to a skincare product? Yeah, an emulsifier is an ingredient that mixes your water and your oil molecules together, ah. so, so that they can so that they can merge. It's like a bridge, and you need them every time that you're doing gels, that you're doing emulsions, that you're doing creams. If you're doing like a hydrosol or like an essence, depending on the format, you might not need them. Okay, uh, if you're doing like oils, balms, you might not need emulsifiers. Um, but you definitely need them when you're creating textures. Wow. And, and then why petroleum derivatives? Why on earth would we use something that comes from oil on our skin? Because when, when a lot of those molecules are transformed, they feel very silky. They feel moisturizing. They feel amazing. It's all like about the tactile. And the feeling of moisture, the feeling of like silk, like a lot of that, like dimethicone, like a lot of synthetic silicones, they just feel really nice. So they counteract a lot of like stickiness or tackiness or, you know, or make the product just sit a certain way. And, uh, and the reason why I don't like them all aside from the fact that they are derived from petroleum, is they give you a false sense of moisturization. Like you're not really moisturized. You just have like really big particles on top of the skin mm. that feel moisturized, but that is really not true moisture. If anything, like they're clogging your pores, they're, uh, you know, like they're just sitting in the last layer. They're not providing true moisturization, which is what you need in the deepest layer of your skin. Like 70% of your hydration is in the deep layer of the skin and only about 25 to 30% is in the surface. So okay, if- so so those things, what you're explaining is that they they almost sit on top of your skin like a like a barrier layer rather than yeah. penetrating in. So So if something feels really silky because of a petroleum byproduct, it's actually just 
it's kind of lying to you, I'm realizing, because it makes your face feel smooth, but it's not actually getting into your skin. No. Interesting. They're just meant to provide a lot of like tactile comfort and feel textures. And not that that doesn't exist in the natural world too, right? Like you need those tactile ingredients that we use a lot from bamboo and we do we use others that are made from ferments and you, you need them because a lot of like raw materials that you deal with are sticky, tacky, you know, like hyaluronic acid, for example, it's a molecule that is extremely sticky and okay. that you need to counteract that active with something that provides a lot of like you know, like silkiness and you need those just for textures, but, uh, but they are not derived from petroleum, Mm. right? Either. And also a lot of the natural versions of that, they're really uh, also providing a lot of barrier protection, which is really incredible because when you do products like moisturizers, you know, like those deep hydrators, you also need to rely on a lot of like uh, barrier technology to keep that moisturizer from evaporating from your skin and like keeping it sealed inside of the skin. So that's another of the functions that a lot of these silicones uh, and silicone replacers do aside from the tactiles that they also seal everything in. You also need a lot of like like right now, we just launched a, a moisturizer that it's for our younger clients and it's called the Waterlock. And younger skin, they still produce very efficiently moisturization in the skin. So it's not like, you know, mm-hmm. when you're in your late 30s and that your skin mechanisms just start like degrading and then you start producing less cells, you start producing less moisture. When you're young, you produce good, you know, like your moisture level is good typically, but what's affected is the last layer. Uh, which is the one that it's really susceptible to the environment because it's the layer that if you're like in the desert, it gets dehydrated and, or if you're like in AC, it suffers. Mm. So this moisturizer has a lot of like water trapping technology that traps water in that last layer with a lot of spheres, a lot of like different um, sugar carbohydrates. We use a lot of uh, peptides as well. And then we also, I think that that formula has the bamboo silicones as well to provide additional silkiness to the skin. So it's like one of those raw materials that you have to play with, but those are more functional ingredients, not necessarily ingredients to give you results, right? Like ingredients to give you results. Those are like more like actives. Got it. So you have to think about the actives, the things that are giving people the results that they want and you have to think about the required sort of elemental ingredients that make them feel the way we're accustomed to them feeling and stabilizers there's it's it's amazing really how much chemistry goes into all of this yes and I feel like we're more I feel like these conversations in a way have permeated more into the culture. Like we're aware of a lot more than we used to be. But I think back when you started this company, you know, 2005, people weren't really talking about green beauty or, or ingredient lists the way they are now. So, uh, you know, I know you said that so many people essentially told you you were crazy to try to do this and that all the chemists said there was no way. Was was the beauty industry also unwelcoming to, to this kind of idea? Uh, I mean, I, I honestly have never been someone that are like really close to the trade that I'm like, oh, what do you think? 
this. You know, I was just kind of like really solo developing this and, uh, and, and just really the only thing that I've always cared about is my client. Mm-hmm. Whether the industry it's on board or not, was really irrelevant, you know, because it's yeah. about the power of my customers and right. uh, what they're looking for. Um, right. I think that overall, though, I think that the beauty industry has responded out of a lot of different industries to trying to be more healthy with the whole clean, plant, which, in my opinion, eventually everything will be clean because, you know, why so. would I do? <laughs> products right or, or pay a, definitely not pay a lot of money for dirty products right. <laughs> uh, but um but yeah i mean it's 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 just like been i think that the the fact that we exist and that it was able to we were able to make it happen it was actually very encouraging for other people that made i started thinking about this right. or started getting ideas of how to use different raw materials that they were really obscure and like no mm. attention to them before. And then you're like, Oh, actually, you know, this wax from olives is a really great uh, emulsifier, for example, sure. like that's one of the emulsifiers that we buy is waxes from olives. So I, I think it's so cool because in a way, and you were saying this earlier, you know, that a lot of people could tell you how it had been done how the status quo was maintained, but you wanted to do something completely new. How do you actually go about beginning a company as an entrepreneur? What was involved in, in the beginning? How did you find things like wax from olives and, and tree bark from wherever? And, you know, the scientists who could do this, you know, how, how did you know what to do? Because there's so many people who I would wager are, are, are listening to this conversation thinking, I'm so inspired, but where do you start? I, um, you know, first and foremost, I think that the first thing that it's the most important if you want to start a company is to make sure that whatever you are producing makes people's lives better. I think that there's so many products out there. It's like, even in the beauty industry, people ask me like, what do you mm. think I'm like, I honestly have no time to think about competition. There are too many. <laughs> Everything sounds very similar to me. Like I'm just really focused on what I'm doing and what I'm delivering to my clients. And I honestly don't have a lot of time for distractions. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's hard. Our team is not a big team. So I think that it's really important that whatever you're making, it's really different. And that also super important, it's making the life of your client better. And that also by the fact that your product exists, more trash is not created into the world, which is a different subject that we haven't talked about, but that has been super important to me since the beginning, which is I want to make sure that the products are in itself sustainable. You know, because a lot of times, a lot of like when you read sustainability efforts, you're like, they revolve around giving a lot of money to third parties, supporting a charity, changing one tube from mm-hmm. being plastic to bioplastic. And all of that is like really nice. And, and I think that that is all great steps, but it, that's not enough to call yourself a sustainable company. To have a sustainable company, the product that you produce must in it in itself be sustainable. You know what I mean? Like the existence of that, you know, it's like our creams. They are not going to pollute the air. They won't pollute the water. They're completely biodegradable. We've tried to reduce waste by being able to make it ourselves. You know, there's mm. a lot of 
like sustainability is built into the whole thing. And I think that that is also super important if you're going to start a company nowadays yeah. to think that and that it's not an afterthought or like a marketing claim, but it's something that really, it's almost like a 360 approach that goes into almost every decision that you make as a, as a brand. Yeah. Uh, so after I figured out that my product was really going to elevate my client's quality of life, I honestly just started reading books on the subject and mm-hmm. I would be and the natural world. It's so, it's so diverse because you have a lot of different sciences in the natural world. You have homeopathy, you have essential oils, you have herbalism, you have like all the green biotech, you know, like there's a lot of different things. So there's a lot of different things to read. There's also a lot of like skin biologists, cosmetic chemists. So I would just buy a lot of books and those books that I really liked, I would contact the author Hmm. and I would bio and I would be like, oh, he is the president of the Society of Cosmetic Chemists in the UK. And I would just like ring them and be like, hi, I want to get the email. Who's, you know, like, could you give me the email? I really want to talk to him about this idea. I would send him the email with what I thought, tell him to give me some dates that I want to go visit him in London. And then I would go to London, talk to him. Wow. put me in touch with someone and then that someone would put me in touch with someone and then I would read another book and I would contact them and then (laughs) it was like a whole network of people and that's when you realize that you can never do anything alone you need also a lot of people that are able to help you selfishly you know like like that also are intellectually curious about what you're doing because there's no way that from being a small brand you can really compensate people for working in your project for years you know what I mean Right. Uh, and that's how it began. And then I just started. And then the more that I learned and the more that I meet with all this chemist, the more that I became fascinated, the more that I started learning and then comprehending, like I don't formulate our products, but I am kind of like the, you know, like I, we have our own labs and we have our own chemists that work with us. And our, my team is like super fabulous. Uh, but I'm there giving them feedback about like, oh, I like that raw material that it's really amazing for vascular permeability or let's add that raw material that we found for epidermal thickness or wow, this would be a great product for that lab that created, you know, in, you know, in Israel, those molecules that help relax wrinkles, like let's mm. add them in formula and maybe let's create a redundancy and let's add that. So I've learned a lot about how the skin works amazing. to the point. I'm able to advise on like the curation of the raw materials because I love this idea that every formula has a lot of staggered, like there's a whole strategy behind the formulation that it's not just about vitamin C and that's it. It's about a lot because the skin has so many processes and so many things to take care of, right? Like vitamin C is an amazing antioxidant, but it's not like the be all end all of like cosmetic chemistry. You know what I mean? Right. So, so, you know, cool. and all the needs of the skin is like, okay, the skin needs proper blood flow from your bloodstream and that comes into your third layer. So we need to really reinforce that layer. So you're getting all the nutrition that you're getting from the food in that layer is where you produce hyaluronic acid. So in order to effectively moisturize a skin, a skin you need to get to the dermal layer and you really need to help stimulate hyaluronic acid production there. Mm-hmm. That layer is all your, you know, your collagen fibers. So that's where you produce collagen and those fibers wow. need to be 
manipulated they need to grow. You know, it's like there's a whole approach <laughs> depending on what you're making. It's so cool and it's so inspiring. And I, I, I love learning about how all the systems in the body are reflected in the systems of the skin. It's, it's mm. so, it feels like the most fun, nerdy rabbit hole to jump down. And I can understand why once you started, you just were like off to the races. You know, you, you talked about how you don't want to do what many beauty companies do, which is subcontract everything. You know, you, you want to make things, you want to supervise them. I mean, on, on your own farm, you know, you moved from New York to Vermont, you can do all of this on your property, which I just think is the coolest thing. And then I'm curious because you're also talking about the size and scope of teams, chemists, mixers, you know, sourcing material does, there's obviously incredible benefit to making your own products and benefit to the consumer. Does it also make things more expensive from a practical perspective to, to do it the way that you do it? Yeah. Everything. It's like Mm. everything more expensive. I think that somehow, and I hope that, you know, that, you know, people don't get this the wrong way, but you know, it's like, you know, we all get excited with the, $39.99 shirt, right? Until we realize what does it take to make a $39.99 shirt, right? It's like a lot of people don't are not get paid, Mm. uh, paid fair wages. There's labor involved. The materials might not be the finest. So yeah, if you want something that it's high quality, that it's durable, that it's good for you, good for the earth, right? A lot, and that also the packaging is responsible, that it's made the right way. Mm. The idea that things need to be cheap is really not coherent with the realities of what you pay to make those decisions. You know what I mean? Like if you want raw materials that are natural, that costs more. If you want raw materials that are organic, now that costs even more. Mm-hmm. Do you want raw materials that are bioengineered and that actually are grown, but that are bioengineered, but grown responsibly, that are also extracted the right way, that it's made with the right methods, that it's fair trade, that it's GMO free. Then you want packaging that doesn't pollute. So, you know, you have to custom make a a lot of our bottles because they are glass, because glass is infinitely recyclable. And then the boxes are made with cartons that come from four certified forests that, you know, they grow responsibly and they don't deplete, like Mm -hmm. all of those that everything adds up so that and that's the result of the price points not like an arbitrary number that I decide to like just put in there like oh right. this is five hundred dollars because Tata said that it's five hundred dollars no it's a result of all the things that are inside right when you right. also have a product that have multiple ingredients in them and not just one right because I love the idea of making formulas where people get multiple results from the products, not just one, right. but multiple. Then that that keeps adding, you know, and 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 uh, and hopefully a lot of our clients like really appreciate everything that happens and that we do behind the scenes to be able to make our products, including to be able to make them ourselves, because that's even more expensive. Yes, of right. Course. So, really wh- what would your advice be? Because you know, we definitely have a lot of like younger women and and like early professionals who are listening and and for listeners who don't yet have the budget to spend a lot on skincare but who really want to use clean and and holistic products do you have advice on where to start or advice on 
maybe even what to what to cut out and and maybe look for in skincare? Sure. So it depends on the the age group, right? So if you're younger, mm-hmm. um, you know, and by younger I mean like 25 and younger. So you're rich. You don't need a lot of products. Your skin still works pretty well, right? Like you just need to keep it clean, keep it moisturized, and maybe exfoliated. Uh, every so often. Mm-hmm. And when you start getting older and you need to support your skin on the anti-aging front, then you need, aside from the cleanser, then you need the two most important anti-aging products, which is your serum and your eye cream, which is where all the anti-aging typically lies in products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you might need additional masks if you're dry or, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe you if you're like breaking out and you're blemish prone. But I think that it really depends on your priorities. Like I think that if you're older and you're trying to maximize anti-aging, definitely investing in a serum and our eye cream, it's like the most important. And maybe the cleanser doesn't need to be as high, you know, it doesn't need to be as intense in the treatment category, right? Or maybe that serum and that eye cream give you enough moisture that you don't need an added moisturizer because they are already taking care of that for you, which is the case right. of a lot of serums that are also very moisturizing. Mm. Uh, it's really prioritizing what you want to work on. And, right. and, and I think that that's probably how I would do it if I, let's say, don't have the budget to have like a full ritual, right? Um, is that then I would be like, okay, my eyes are the most important thing for me. So let me start there, mm. you know, which I believe that that is, by the way, the most important anti-aging product is your eye cream. Wow. Um, more than your serum, it's your eye cream. Because that's where we get our first wrinkles. Wow. That skin also has a lot more issues. Like that area of your face has a lot more issues than like the rest of your face, right? The rest of your face, like a serum, for example, typically when you develop a serum, you add a lot of anti-aging ingredients at multiple levels. Hmm. But then an eye cream has all of those anti-aging ingredients, but then it considers other things that don't happen around your skin. Like around the eye area, we get a lot of dark shadows. So you have to add a lot of ingredients for vascular health. Uh, Also around the eye area, we get puffy, we retain fluid. So you need to bring a lot of blood flow and you need to bring on a lot of oxygenation. You know, it's like, I think that the eye, like literally the most important uh, priority, <laughs> at least for me, uh, in terms of product. Mm, that's so cool. When when you look back, we talked about you know this being your ten year anniversary and how exciting that is for the company. Um, I know you began this endeavor in two thousand five, but you officially launched in two thousand ten. Mm-hmm. How how were you able to? get the word out so quickly. How, how do you think now in hindsight, you realize you, you've been able to build this business in the way that you have? Because again, I, I just think that as an entrepreneur, you're so inspiring and there's a lot of people who are going to learn so much from your story. So looking back as you're about to celebrate this milestone, do you, do you have observations to share with the listeners about how you did this and and maybe what you would recommend they do if they're trying to start a a business of some kind. Yeah. And by the way, I by no means think that the way that I did it is the only way. I think that people need to adapt depending on their circumstances. I mean, I was a tiny company with no marketing budget and, you know, and it's still to date our marketing. Like I think that we hired our first 
uh, team member for marketing like two and a half years ago. So just wow. so you know how much we suck in marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Like it's never been like a big part. Like we're a product company, you know, like we put all of our energy in the products and like yeah. marketing, like the last thing that we think about, which is not necessarily mm-hmm. the case or maybe wise for a lot of other companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am a big believer in the power of like word of mouth. I think that that's how I got started. It was all word of mouth. I started doing a lot of the things that I had learned from my grandmother and started doing a lot of spa parties. And I remember traveling around the U.S. doing a lot of them, like my friends in Brent, my friends in Malibu, my friends in New York, my friends in Miami, my friends here and there, like really just, hey, gather a couple of friends. And, you know, I had been spending so much time developing the products that I was dying for feedback about like, what do you guys think? You know, do you like them? Do you not like them? Like, is it working? Is it not working? And and not only did I finish a lot of like my formulas with a lot of those beauty classes, but also I started like my first customers from those beauty classes. And I started my first website from a lot of those customers. And then one mm-hmm. of those customers, I think it was one of this um this girl that worked at Vogue and she loved it so much. And for my launch year we got like a huge story in Vogue, which was like a dream come true. And, uh, and it was so amazing. I think that we got like a five page spread in Vogue, which is unheard of now. And, uh, and I also think that the press and the journalists, like a lot of like the beauty editors were just really inspired what, what we were doing. And it was so innovative and so different that they, like, I'm eternally grateful for everybody that has helped me to spread the word and, and just really love our products. And I think that the last thing is that people just really enjoy using them. They see results. It's like the results are undeniable. So it's like when something is giving you results, you continue buying it and you keep talking about it. And I think that that is the key to success, to be able to make a product that people want to want to keep using and want to keep buying and that yeah. love the And also like our formulas are a very aromatic experience, which I know that it's not for everybody, but a lot of us see skincare as a way of soothing and calming and like that ritual that just brings a lot of like uh, calm Mm. life and like self pampering. Right. And, and Mm. I think that with our products, you can smell nature, you know, like they bring a lot of comfort to people's, to people's lives. And, uh, that's that's how we did it honestly there was nothing there was not like if i can go back there was nothing that we did i mean we've always been a very generous brand so when such and such assistant calls us and this and that one wants we've always you know <laughs> we've always been very generous uh and let people try it and uh and and that has been really like really uh really amazing for us mm, that's cool when you talk about skincare as a ritual, what that feels like now and, and the way that you grew up seeing it in, you know, generations of women in your family, what is your daily skincare ritual? How, how do you, how do you practice self-care that way? Well, I practice self-care in many other ways than just skincare. I, I've been, I do a couple of things. I monitor my sleep really mm-hmm. well. I, at least seven to eight hours every night and then the weekends I try to even sleep nine if I can get them in um also I try to exercise 
because I think that exercise has been really amazing to help not only, you know, obviously like it's amazing for your health, but it's also amazing to control stress and stress is a big part of like, how, you know, controlling stress has a place, a big role in how your skin looks because there's a real connection between your emotions and your skin. There's actually a new field of study called psychodermatology. Uh, I take baths with my kids. I try to eat really well. Like I try to eat a lot of fruits and a lot of vegetables. And I love starting my day with this like really packed smoothie with like lots of berries and lots of supplements, like powders. Mm. I love... Um, adding a lot of uh, marine collagen from vital proteins. I also love adding macuna prurians for uh, mood regulation uh, from this company called Sun Potion. Mm. Uh, I also have like this amazing like super food powders that I just add that has like a lot of like uh, dried freeze algaes, vegetables, fruits, also a lot of magnesium. And then I start my day with that. And then my skincare, I am a believer on layering, Mm. a believer in consistency, like doing it every 12 hours and doing the same steps every 12 hours. So, wow. Yeah. Like in the morning, I love, I start the day always with an exfoliation because at night we, uh, we produce a lot of dead skin cells when we're sleeping, you know, like when we're sleeping, our rhythm kicks on you know, like this rhythm that we have that resets all of our organs. And that typically kicks on around like 10 p.m. at night, more or less. And as part of all those processes is your skin gets a reset. And for the skin, one of the things that that means is that a lot of your old skin cells die, a lot of the new skin cells grow, you know, like the skin is like an organ that it's in constant transformation. So you wake up and I love the idea of removing all the dead skin cells that have accumulated at night. It's not like my skin is dirty, you know, I've been sleeping, but (laughs) exfoliation is key. And then after that exfoliation, I love to layer products in this order because I just think that there is definitely a science to layering. Mm you can get the most out of your results. So I love to always start with an essence because essences are not only hydrating uh, products, but they're also provide a lot of penetration enhancement. So okay. a lot of the products that you add after an essence are going to go deeper inside of the skin. So essences really help you maximize your routine. That's mm-hmm. why for me, essences are not like a luxury or optional. They're really like a must because they allow me to make the most out of everything that I apply afterwards. Mm-hmm. Now I do the essence. And then after the essence, I always layer in the order in which the product, the molecular sizes of the product, right? Like you always want to do the mm-hmm. products smaller molecular sizes first, mm-hmm. and then the have the bigger molecules last. Like for example, oil should always be last because oils penetrates everything, but not everything penetrates oil. Mm. Um, so typically the products that have the smaller molecular sizes are your eye cream and your serum because those two products work in the deepest layer of your skin. So a lot of our pro- eye creams and our serums, they're all about working in your dermis where all of the anti-aging is really happening in the skin. Then after I apply those two, then you want to layer moisturizer because moisturizer has 
ingredients in multiple molecular sizes just because you need the hydration inside and you also need hydration outside. So you want to layer that. Because, okay. uh, you know, you have like that deep hydration, but then you also have the superficial hydration. And then after moisturizer, then use when you do face oil or you do sunscreen or you do any of those like bigger molecules, things that are more there to provide nutrition, to provide uh, more barrier protection. Uh, They're not necessarily working deep down in the skin or anything like that. Uh, And that's what I do every day. That's what I do every single day, morning and night. And night, I like to change things up a little bit in the mo- in the cleansing front. Like I love to double cleanse. Like I always love starting with an oil cleanser, which is always amazing to remove dirt and particles and remove makeup. Oil is really effective at removing big particles from the skin. Mm-hmm. They're fabulous for that. So if, but you then- s- if you start with an oil cleanser, then how do you get the oil off? For the other things to penetrate. Oil cleanser that our oil oil cleanser has an emulsifying system. So you cleanse and then you put water and then it like turns into a milk. Mm, Cool. Wow, you're listening. It's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. I'm literally. You're talking and I'm like I keep putting the microphone on my knee and taking notes on the computer. Yeah, and the moisturizer at night, I mean, I use the same eye cream and the same serum because those two products shouldn't be changed between morning and night because those mm-hmm. two products are more about cumulative results. So you really need to use them every 12 hours. You know, those are the products mm-hmm. that I call for your skin of tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. And then while your cleansers, moisturizers, masks, oils, they're more about like your skin today. Like I'm dirty. Okay. I need a cleanser. Oh, mm-hmm. my skin is dry. I need a moisturizer. you right. Mm-hmm. Like that. That's not about cumulative results. That's about like right here, right now. Uh, so at night, I like to change up and use more of like a like creme riche. I don't know if you're familiar with that like super he- like rich cream that we have, that it's the mm. one that I use at night. And then I mix it with a couple drops of our retinoic nutrient face oil. And that's what I do every night. That's so cool. Okay. You've been so generous with your time and your advice. Thank you so much. I have one final question for you, and it's my favorite thing to ask everyone who comes on the podcast. As you know, the title of our show is called Work in Progress. And I wonder when you hear that phrase, what comes to mind as something that is a work in progress in your life right now, whether it's personal, professional, as a career woman, as a mom, anything really. I think that being a mom is a work in progress for mm-hmm. me. You know, like I, I, I mean, I don't know how you guys don't have kids right yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, I had never been one of those people that I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to have kids and to be a mom. You know, like, I, you know, I don't know. I always tell my mom, like, I feel like I'm not like a natural mother and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I have three kids <laughs> and I feel that I'm constantly rethinking my motherhood um Mm. and raise my children and uh the relationship that I have with them Mm -hmm. it's a a working progress because as they change and they become older like you know a lot of their expectations and what they come to you for changes so now Mm -hmm. it's like you know I am like the advice I like they love a lot of advice around like girls in their classroom that they love and you know how Mm -hmm. do I 
them and you know also like some other are like finding their fashion styles and who are you know how do they want to dress and like what you know and they're so different and that that part of my life is a constant work in progress so I think that that's what comes to mind because I'm always thinking about how my role changes so much with them too Mm -hmm. that's so cool that's so cool I I really appreciate you sharing that I think that so many women have, you know, been told again by by all this messaging we get about how we're supposed to look and how we're supposed to be. There's so much messaging around motherhood. And I've been so inspired by some of the women in my life who share what's beauty, what's really beautiful and what's brutal and what's mm-hmm. amazing and what's confusing. And, and I heard, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith was interviewed on a podcast I listened to a few months ago. And she was Mm -hmm. talking about how she had to come to terms with the fact that as a mother, her job is to kind of shield and, and shepherd and also stay out of the way of her children as they become the adults that they've been destined to be. Mm -hmm. And, and I just thought, wow, that's so cool and vulnerable and also must feel so complicated because when they're little babies they need you for everything and then when they get older and independent you still have to teach them stuff but you have to encourage their independence and when do you know when to step in and when to step back and I I just I I observe with some of my friends and I think back on my own relationship with my mother and I listen to women like you who I admire and I realize it must just feel like such an ever-changing dance and I I like when people are willing to kind of share inside looks at that. Listen, none of us are perfect, right? Like we, we all try our best and we all make mistakes. And, you know, I, I definitely, I, I, I could tell you that I've made many mistakes that you're like, oh, why did I do that? Like mm-hmm. that was the best response. Or, mm-hmm. you know, why did I scream at her? Like she was just, you know, she just caught me at the right moment, you know, like at the moment where I was just like really after like a, like I was just irritated after something. And, and you, and, and I think that all of those opportunities on all those things that happen is just really a reminder that, you know, there'll be a tomorrow, you know, where you're going to be able to correct that and think about it and react better to all those things and, and not, and learn how to not be so tough on myself because I feel that, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when I was starting the business and I was having them, I remember it being a point where I was like so hard on myself. It was so Wow, I like I'm a lunatic. Like I would never, <laughs> like I would never treat anybody the way I treat myself, you know, or expect yeah. this sort of things from anybody. Like what's wrong with me? And I think yeah. that being able to just pause and be like, well, you know, yeah, that was not great. I'm going to apologize. And I'm and the next time I'm gonna tell her that when she has this other thing, she should just ask me this way and I'm gonna try to react this way and just releasing tomorrow as an opportunity to just act differently and not give yourself yeah. a hard time. Because I mean, our role already as women in the world is so complicated, right? It's like, we have all, like all the motherhoods, but now if you work, it's like all those responsibilities that you have also. Yeah. And it's like, and sometimes we just don't even allow our partners to help us, right? Because we feel that that's not okay, that we should do it all. And, and mm-hmm. actually I, 
proponent of actually like, no, let them be like, hold them accountable and let them be alone. They will figure it out. They all do. It's like, sometimes we just don't give them the opportunity to be with them a whole day and have to like change diapers and it will, it will probably look very different than the way that you do things, but they yeah. will be okay. It will be their way, you know? And it's, and I feel that sometimes we even don't even allow that to happen. Yeah. When help is like really available because we think that we are the only ones to know how to do the mothering. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that is uh, sometimes not great for us because we just don't have time. And sometimes we honestly don't have all the answers either. We need to you know, ask around and be like, what do you think? How would you handle it? I love that. And just getting all the help that you can get. Yeah. I really love that a lot. It's so cool. It's nice to, and I think it's nice to your point to be able to just express it. It's really neat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Communication is key. I feel that women don't communicate enough on like what's really happening sometimes mm-hmm. and that just creates a lot of resentment and like internal angers and things that we hold on to instead of just saying like what really works and what doesn't work and that sometimes it's like an easy fix when you just communicate how important are, things are to us mm-hmm. here here thank you so much this has been so fun you're welcome thank you so much for having me yeah. Uh, it was so fun to chat and to talk about skincare and talk about so many things. I feel we covered a wide range of topics here. This show is executive produced by me, Sophia Bush, and Sim Sarna. Our associate producer is Caitlin Lee. Our editor is Josh Windish. And our music was written by Jack Garrett and produced by Mark Foster. This show is brought to you by Brilliant Anatomy. Thank you.